Welcome back to Jonah 4, 4 through 8, part 1 is, of course, it's going to be two parts. So let's open in prayer. Father, we just thank you for bringing us here today. We just ask you that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would um, strengthen um, us to hear your word, Lord, and just open our ears and our eyes t- so that we might see wonderful truths in your law. And Lord, what we know not teach us and what we have not give us and what we are not make us. For Jesus' sake, amen. All right, I'm excited about um, doing this chapter because it's it's a, it's an amazing chapter. But anyway, the first part of it is too. Right, we're going to start out by um, reading the words to "Be Thou My Vision," and um, like I said before, we always sing in the in Bible studies. So I'm just going to read the words because I have a terrible voice. But the words are awesome. So if you um, can get them, you should, and and read them and reread them. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word, I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, thine own may I be, thou in me dwelling, and I one with thee. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Okay, um, we're going to start out by reading Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And these are all verses that kind of correspond to our passage for today, before we read our passage for today. Okay, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 tells us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Again, as 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Then Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jonah 4, 4 through 8 says, But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? (laughs) Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which uh, chewed the vine so it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching scorching wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Oh, please, Jonah. He's so melodramatic. Though Jonah knew that God was slow to anger, he still greatly desired for the Lord to execute his wrath swiftly, at least towards the Ninevites. That that is certainly not towards him. Yet in our verses for today, we discover God being graciously kind and compassionate, as well as slow to anger, not only with the Ninevites, but also with the prophets. It reminds me of the words in Titus 3.8. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of the rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit to whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good, These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. That was Titus 3, 3 through 8. And lastly, Romans 11, 33 through 36. Out of the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has instructed him as his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We discover in our text for today, God seeking to reason with Jonah by asking his sulking messenger whether his anger was justified or not, a question that implied a negative response. The wording indicates God basically saying, Is it morally good for you to burn with anger? By the way, it is never a very good idea to angrily question God of all creation who does. Certainly, God does not mind our asking him questions regarding our circumstances. Rather, it was the deserving, expectant, angry attitude of Jonah's heart that was getting him into deep trouble. 
He expected God to explain to him what he was up to as if he were on a level ground to understand God's ways. And even if God explained it to him, he probably wouldn't have understood it. To be sure, this was simply not going to happen. Jonah couldn't understand God's ways, even if he had clearly told him. And neither can we, by the way. As a friend of my family used to say, I can explain it to you, but I cannot understand it for you. We did not see the end from the beginning as God does, nor do we see clearly, only but a poor reflection is in a mirror. God tells us in Scripture through the pen of Isaiah in Isaiah 46, 8 through 10, remember this, fix it in the mind, take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. That's Isaiah 46, 8 through 10. Jonah certainly had no right to be angry. Amen. Indeed, no one has rights before God. We are all beggars at the foot of the cross. All of us are on level ground right there. And I'm reminded of God's words to his servant Job's questionings of his actions at the end of Job after he had suffered so greatly and continuously and was totally spent. Remember, Job is the one whom God had called blameless. We discover now God calling Job into account in Job 38, 1 through 7. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it. On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Then God proceeds with several chapters, all filled with questions that Job had no idea how to respond to. God did not answer Job's question, or rather he turned, God turned it around and asked Job the questions too hard for him to understand or know about. Indeed, in the end of all of God's inquiries, Job had certainly realized his place and rightly confesses in in Job 46, 1 through 6. Scripture tells us, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things, that no plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, Who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you and you will answer me. Hmm. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, and therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. God can take our pleadings, but he is on the throne, and we are not. And his ways are higher and better than ours, as they are always, always, working in and through us eternal glories that far outweighs the present want for now. 
Um, there's a, an article called Wait, What Not to Ask When Hope is Deferred, and it's written by Glenna Marshall. I wish I were good at waiting. I'm sure I had lots of practice, 15 years of infertility, six years of chronic pain condition, five years in the adoption process, yet even with all that experience, I still chafe at how slowly the Lord seems to act when I'm praying for a season to end. I've rarely viewed waiting as anything but a prison. For most of the years, I've just wanted out. We all grapple with unfulfilled desires, marriage, children, financial stability, physical health, insert your deferred hope here. We long for broken things to be mended, empty things to be filled, tragic things to come to an end. So when we plead with the Lord to change things, but we keep waking to unchanged circumstances, we want to know why. And if we could have a definitive time frame for those changes, even better. But the Bible doesn't guarantee our deferred hopes will be met with our desired outcomes. Believe me, I've looked. I spent years coming God's word for a special word that would speak to my empty womb or my broken body. I've longed to know when my waiting will end, and I've wondered why God ordained this path for me. When and why are the questions we ask God the most. But as I worked through Scripture, looking for the answers, I discovered I was asking the wrong question. When we can't change our circumstances, we're quick to question why God has let this happen or why we won't, He won't change it. Consider Job, who we just did, who had no inkling of the conversation between God and Satan. As we read the whole story, we can see purpose in Job's suffering and understand that God was revealing and refining Job's faith, not to mention setting such a great example of suffering for all of those that would follow him. But for Job, it seemed so arbitrary, just like all of our pains do. He longed to know why God had permitted so much sorrow in his life, and he had to endure lecture after lecture from his friends. In the end, God answered Job's why, with a who, not with a reason, but with a person himself. When God cuts into the conversation about whether Job's suffering was deserved, he simply describes his mighty acts and unassailable sovereignty. Instead of knowing why he must wait, Job indeed needed to grasp who God was. And remembering that his life was in the hands of his creator sustained Job. After hearing God's self-declaration, Job came out to this conclusion, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things that were just too wonderful for me, which I did not know. The Lord doesn't fault Job for asking the questions, but in his answer to Job, he never explains the why. The truth of God's sovereign wisdom was the answer Job needed, and it is the answer that satisfied him, even though he had no explanation for his losses. Job learned he could trust God with his life. John Newton writes, It's natural for us to wish and to plan and to be, and it is merciful of the Lord to disappoint our plans and to cross our wishes, for we cannot be safe or happy until we are weaned from our own wills and made simply desirous of being directed 
by his guidance. Although we understand this, we seldom learn to put it into practice without being trained for a while in the school of disappointment. The schemes that we form look so plausible and convenient that when they're broken, we're ready to say, what a pity. We try again with no better success, and we're grieved and perhaps angry and plan another and so on. Eventually, in the course of time, experience and observation begin to convince us that we are no more able than we are worthy to choose correctly for ourselves. The Lord's invitation to cast all our cares upon Him and His promise to take care of us appear valuable. And when we have done planning, His plan in our favor gradually opens and He does more and better for us than we could either ask or think. I can hardly recollect a single plan of mine which, if it had taken place in the time and the way that I had wanted, would, humanly speaking, have proved my ruin, or at least would have deprived me of the greater good the Lord had designed for me, which is what we all want. We judge things by their present appearance, but the Lord sees them in their consequences. If we could do the same, we would be perfectly of his mind. But since we can't, it is an unspeakable mercy that he will manage for us whether we are pleased with his management or not. And it is regarded as one of his heaviest judgments when he gives any person up to the way of their own hearts and to walk according to their own wisdom. A person should never angrily question what God does, even when it differs from what he expects or wants. God does not answer to us. We answer to him. It is always best to remember to will what God wills brings peace to the soul. Let's never forget that some of God's greatest mercies are his refusals, Elizabeth Elliot writes. Again, God always, always has our best interest at heart, even if we do not readily perceive it or our emotions feel it. I'm reminded again of the correct response of blameless Job, who in a matter of moments progressively lost all that he had, even his 10 children. We find in Job 1, 8 through 22, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds have spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your hands. Hmm. And Job knows nothing of this. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, 
a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his clothes and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Woof, what an example for us. Job's response here is amazingly stellar. Certainly it appears this saint of old lived his life with open hands, not grasping, not holding on to what God had put in them, he trusted in the goodness of God, even in the direst of circumstances, circumstances far beyond any that, uh, that we have experienced, I'm sure. Even when he could make no sense out of the situation. Indeed, his circumstances were so intense and so horrible that we discover the following reaction from his friends who came to encourage him. This passage reflects the best things these friends did for him in his anguish. After that, their actions were downhill all the way. We see in Job 2, 11 through 13, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing those, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him. They set out from their homes and met together my agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes, and they sprinkled dust on their hands. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. They should have just stopped right there. Now back to our story. The prophet Jonah certainly had had good theology, but it never made it down from his head to his heart. Don't you find that true in so many people? To his hands. And that's what it's supposed to do. God's word is supposed to go from head to heart to hands to flesh it out. He was so distraught over God's actions of staying his mighty, all-powerful hand towards the Ninevites, which he wanted to be annihilated, that he was just furious and fit to be tied. He didn't like God's mercy towards his enemies. What do we do 
when we're in a Jonah state of mind, just annoyed, furious, depressed, anxious over whatever is going on down in our lives. When things are not going at all as we have planned, and we just want to flee or give up, and just flat out go home to be with the Lord. I'm reminded of the psalmist's words in Psalm 42, 5 through 6. Why are you downcast on my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, and from Mount Mizar, Psalm 42, 5 through 6. And in verse 8, by day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer for the God of my life. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you're in control of all things and no plan of yours can be thwarted. We thank you that you're on the throne of the light, on the throne of our of our lives and we ask lord that you would just give us strength to persevere when times are not of our choosing we pray father that you would um, just give us joy knowing how much you love us and that you never allow anything in our lives that is not for our best interest and i ask all these things lord in your name You've been listening to a message by Beth from Sharing Bread Ministries. You're welcome to pass this message along to others, but please do not charge for it or alter it in any way without the written permission from Sharing Bread. This content has been provided to you free of charge by the generous supporters of Sharing Bread. For additional information on Sharing Bread, you can look for us online at sharing-bread.com. You can find Bible teachings for adults and kids, links to podcasts and other resources to help you grow in the Lord. Again, that website is sharing-bread.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in touch with Sharing Bread. Sharing Bread, laboring to grow up families in Christ.